Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Welcome home, PCC. How's it going? So thank you for the challenge, Dave LaRock. I, uh, I'm committed to not cry today, but I would not take that bet because I often make it to myself and lose. So <laughs> I once had that conversation with my wife. I said, I don't cry every time. She says, yeah, yeah, you do. All right. Well, I'm Scott Kirksey. I am a pastor here on staff, and it is so good to be here with you today, whether you are in-house, on the lawn, or joining us online. It is awesome to be with you. In March 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, a girl was on the bus riding home, 15 years old. Her name was Claudette Colvin. She was riding the bus on the way home when a white woman boarded the bus and the bus driver told her to get out of her seat. Now there was a conviction inside of her that this was not the answer. She kept saying, this is my constitutional right. This is my constitutional right. And she said that until she was removed from her seat and arrested. You see in the South in the 50s, there were these laws that were called Jim Crow laws that kept white people and black people in separate spaces. Segregation. Montgomery's civil rights leaders didn't publicize Colvin's pioneering effort, and this may be why you haven't heard her name. She was 15. They were afraid of what the press might say about her, drag her through the mud. She was unmarried. She was pregnant. And they were afraid of what the press might do. Buses in Montgomery, Alabama had that section in the front, in the front for white folks and in the back for black folks. But what if the whole bus was full? And if the white section was full, then the bus driver would holler to the back and he would say, that front row of the black section, you need to get up and they'd be forced to go into the back to stand. So this is exactly the scenario that happened nine months later when an adult black woman would sit in the non-white section. When the white section filled up, she was ordered by the bus driver to give up her seat to a white man who had just boarded. She too refused and was arrested for her civil disobedience. Her name was Rosa Parks. Like Claudette, her cause was greater than the cost. Just days after the arrest of Rosa Parks, a young minister was elected to lead a campaign of resistance called the Montgomery Bus Boycott. He was a man of God, a devout follower of Jesus who had dedicated his life to following him. During the boycott, blacks stopped taking the bus. The black population that took the bus made up actually 75% of the clientele that rode the bus. But instead, the black community rallied. They rallied systems of carpool. They rallied black cab drivers to give blacks 10 cent fares so they could get to work and back. People walked miles to get to work and back. They avoided the bus at all costs. They wore out their shoes doing so. 
Even black ministers and churches that rallied behind this boycott, they would collect shoes in order to give them to people who had worn theirs out from all of the walking. And that boycott lasted a whole year. All of this was completely inconvenient. There was a cost to it, but the cause was greater than the cost. Months later, despite what others would say about her, Claudette Colvin testified in a landmark case that would deem the segregation of buses unconstitutional and order the state of Alabama to end it. And I can't help but wonder if it was her actions of her seeing that the cause was greater than the cost would inspire others to do the same, including Rosa Parks. Colvin was 15. Any 15-year-olds in here today? Maybe within a few years. Do you believe that we can make a difference? I think like Kid President, kid president said, I think we can when the cause is greater than the cost. So there was another young person who got involved, and it was the young minister who would lead the boycott. He was reluctant at first, but his peers actually said, he actually kind of said, I'll do it if, I'll do it if you guys aren't going to do it. And so he got elected to uh, manage and rally this boycott. He would soon become a household name. His name was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., so much of his conviction for justice was steeped in scripture. It was modeled after Christ himself. During the boycott, Dr. King's house would be firebombed. He would be arrested and imprisoned. But this was only the beginning. The cost was high. But to Dr. King, the cause was greater than the cost. Now, we're in our value series titled Together We Are PCC. And today, the value we're looking at is to live the word. We're going to take a look at the early church and see how they lived the word in a season when the cause was greater than the cost. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for where we are today and the continued opportunity we have to change the world. Thank you for the ways you work through us when we give our lives to you. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to the places where you want us to give. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get into our passage in Acts, allow me to set the scene a little bit. The book of Acts works as a continuation from the Gospels. It's what's going on right after the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ but it's what's going on. What is the Holy Spirit doing through the church, through the disciples that Jesus had? Now, if you remember, it was Jesus that was brought before a high priest who was very offended that he would call himself the Messiah. So offended that it was that, that interview, that interrogation that led to Jesus on the cross a little while later. The high priest was instrumental in that. But Jesus, too, saw it all coming, and in a way, he looked ahead and he said, this cause is greater than the cost. It's worth it. There was a conviction within. So here we are a little while later. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and his disciples are doing remarkable things. 
They're actually in the temple courts and they're doing what Jesus did. They're acting like him. They're sharing, they're preaching, they're speaking, and they're telling of all the things that God has done. They're doing what Jesus did. In Acts 5, where we're going to be most of today, if you want to open up to Acts 5, you can. It'll be up on the screen as well. But in Acts 5, 12 through 14, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's a beautiful thing, that people would come to know Jesus by the actions of some. But what stands out to me is verse 13, where it says, no one else dared join them. They're witnessing all that God can do, and yet no one will join in the work that they are doing. In a sense, to say, we love your cause, we don't love the cost. And I'm not going to pay that. We already know how that story goes. We saw it. We saw Jesus set the pattern whose cause was greater than the cost. And we saw what he paid for. There's a cross in that story. And I'm not quite sure I want to go down that road. The people were willing to hear the word. But they were not willing to live the word. The apostles preaching gets so much attention that just like Jesus... They're arrested. And I want to pause here for a minute. Because if you're walking this story that looks just like your rabbis and you're following in his steps and you, re- you can recollect this image in the back of your mind that says, I remember when he was arrested. I remember how that went. And I remember him going before the high priest. And I remember how that went. And so now they're arrested with that image in their mind reflecting on the arrest of their savior, the arrest of their rabbi. There they are before the high priest, and I'm thinking, like, if this is me, what's going through my mind? I'm thinking, okay, deja vu. Okay, this is it. I'm done. Okay, let me sketch out a quick will real quick. Okay, Gabe, you can have my motorcycle. Jonathan, you can have my surfboard. Thanks, Mom. Love you guys. You're awesome. I think this is the end. But they get imprisoned, and something amazing happens the night they're imprisoned. In Acts 5, 19 through 20, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Now, this is a message from God. This is God telling his disciples, I'm saving you right now. Go and do what I do. Go out and tell them about me. I'm saving you, now go. Live like the cause is greater than the cost. And when they're arrested again and asked why they're continuing to do what the high priest told them not to do, they say this in Acts 5, 29. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. I'm going to listen to God before I listen to you. So the same reason the disciples were found preaching in the temple courts is the same reason that two courageous women in 1955 would choose to defy those in authority and power 
It's the same reason Martin Luther King Jr. would give his life to fight injustice, risking it and being arrested a total of 29 times because the cause was greater than the cost. The conviction they had about what the world could be outweighed the risk. It outweighed their safety. They were willing not to be bystanders because Jesus was never a bystander. Our value today is live the word. It's not just hearing the word or knowing the word or loving the word. It's living the word. It's in the word that we learn about the God who created you, who loves you, who gave his life for you, who restored you, and sets you on a mission to be like him. But there's one essential piece we can't leave out. And that Jesus Christ, the one who saves you, the one who gave you life, he gave everything he had. And if we're to imitate him, what does that look like for you? It means that our salvation wasn't just for us. It's in the word that we learn that we've been given a great gift, but along with that gift, there's a call to live the word. The apostles knew this, and in the book of John, it says this, John 14, 12, it says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Now hear that. Belief will lead you to do what I do. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he saved you so that you could be like him? So that the gospel wouldn't just enter your head and stop there, but would go through you like a conduit to the others. Truth that would flow out of you even when it costs you something. Mark 8.34 says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Is this Jesus saying, If you're going to be one of mine, there's a cost. This story has a cross in it. There's a cross in it where the decision to give yourself away or forego the risk is one that you will be constantly making. And this goes well beyond the idea of what would Jesus do. I think it begs us to ask this question of who would Jesus be? There's this quote that I came on to uh, this is so good, I'm going to read it a couple times. It won't be on the slide, but I'm going to read it to you. It's from Dallas Willard. And he says, discipleship, which is the same, which is following Jesus, is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Who would Jesus be if he were you? Can you imagine him wondering that? Like, man, if I were Scott, I would totally do this right now. <laughs> man, if I were Dave, I would so do this right now. If I were Brian, I would so do this right now. And then the times when you do it and you get it right, I could just see Jesus being like, yes, that's what I would have done. 
So I'm reading a book right now. It's called A More Christ-Like God, and it talks about this idea. If we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is walking around on earth. You want to know what God is like? Look at him. And it begs this other question where I was thinking about this, and I wanted to think, man, if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at Anthony. Look at Cheryl. Look at John. Look at Maureen. Look at Sherman. I could tell you what Jesus is like, or I could show you what it looks like by the people around me who look so much like him who live as if the cause is greater than the cost, who put their lives in his hands. So many of you are living the word. There's this interesting paradox to being a follower of Jesus, to walk as Jesus walked, to receive this self-giving love that Jesus gives. We're also called to respond by living the way he lived. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls costly grace. On one hand, because Jesus paid the cost, you receive eternal life, an incredible gift. On the other hand, a follower, a follower of Christ is called to imitate Christ, to live as Jesus would if he were you. Who would Jesus be if he were you? Now, Jesus' love is self-giving. So if I'm living as Jesus were me, then my life will look self-giving. And we're accountable. So Jesus actually tells parables about people who had been given plenty and who would later be asked when the master returned, what did you do with that? And maybe an underlying question is, did you look like me? With all the blessing that you had, with all the resources that you had, did you look like me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't just talk about costly grace. He actually gave his life while trying to rescue people. He gave his life trying to free Jews from Nazi Germany because the cause was greater than the cost. He actually had opportunities to stay in the United States during that time or to go back to Germany. And he chose to go back to Germany because there was a cause there that he could not ignore, that people were getting, people were lost. We were losing people, and he knew he could not ignore it. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer looked a lot like Jesus. Doing the things that he was doing was living in a way that, that he would if Jesus were him. So PCC, what would your world look like if the people I mentioned today didn't live the word? What if they ignored the conviction? The people that poured into your life who are somewhat participants in your faith story and the reason why you're here and the reason that, gosh, uh, there's this testimony that is within you and there's other people in that testimony that lived in a certain way or shared Jesus with you. What would it look like if they didn't live the word? What if they didn't live as if the cause of you, of saving you, wasn't worth the cost? What if Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, what if they didn't contribute to the civil rights movement because the cause wasn't worthy of the cost? 
so many others, countless others who contributed to that movement? What if they saw the needs around them and they didn't do anything? So I sat with a friend for lunch last week. And he's all lit up for Jesus right now. And he told me a story about a time not too long ago when he was a little bit far away. And he told me a story about how he was kind of straying. But a friend from church kept calling him, kept inviting him, kept reaching out, kept calling, kept inviting, kept reaching out. And he told me about what a critical role that that friend played in his life. And as I reflected on that story, I couldn't help but think that that friend looks a lot like Jesus. And there were friends like that in my story too, that when I was straying, or when I was a bit lost, they kept calling and reaching out. I'm here because of them. But who are yours? Can you think of them? Where would you be if they didn't live the word? And the better question is who will be different because you chose to? Who will be different because you chose to live the word? Because you weighed the cost and considered it worth it. What would God do with a church that was full of people that live like that? Brian mentioned in his message last week that our priorities can be seen in our calendars and our checkbooks. Does your calendar and your checkbook look like it would if Jesus were you? There was one more detail I learned about reading the Claudette Colvin story. It's when the white woman boarded the bus and the bus driver turned around. He actually ordered the whole row to get up and move to the back. There were four people in that row. Three other women got up and they did as they were told and they were okay with the status quo where they didn't fight back against the status quo and they went and sat in the back. Leaving 15-year-old Claudette Colvin to resist alone. But another woman in the back of the bus named Ruth Hamilton saw Claudette sitting in the front by herself and she got up out of her seat in the back and she walked up and she sat next to Claudette Colvin. In a way to say what happens to you happens to me. I think that's the same story with the disciples. I'm not crying. <laughs> the disciples went on a story with Jesus like a woman who would come up and sit in the front who would say, what happens to you happens to me. And they lived in a way that said, Jesus, what happens to you happens to me because it's worth it. Because the cause that I live for is good enough, that it's worth living for the cost. Even when it said that others wouldn't join them, I'll join him. Because the cause is greater than the cost. We live in this world where so many of us around us are still lost. 
Will you be the one that calls them, that reaches out, that invites them over and over again? Will you be the one that comes in and serves because serving is a part of reaching the lost? Will you be the one that actually looks at their checkbook and says, man, it looks like Jesus was in charge here. Who looks at their calendar and like, Jesus full, but man, is it bringing me life because Jesus is in charge here. Because the cause is greater than the cost. That we would see the lost and participate in it. This is what it means to live the word. To not come here and just fill up on the word. But to use the word. To come and equip ourselves with the word so much so that we have the things to say when other people need it. To draw them in to know Jesus. Just like others drew us in to know Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. If Jesus could see those around him who needed to know his love and spend his whole life to save them, I think that's a pretty good way to live. And I think I'm in for that too. If he could spend his life to save the lost, I could spend my life to save the lost. How will you participate? How will you live the word so that it's not just words that come into you, but it's love that flows out of you to care for those that need it. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for all of those in this building that have a story of the ways they've been loved by you. Take our life, Lord, our sacrifice, Our lives are yours to take and use. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.